And we are taking the approach of looking at the characters of Acts, God's actors in Acts. We began with, with Peter last week, the man of courage, and today we look at Stephen, a man of conviction. Now, the verse we repeated, verse number eight, is just a powerful verse. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, full of the spirit and of wisdom, full of faith, Stephen, full of grace and power. Now, what I've got to get through before we go any further is that Stephen was a man of the ranks. Stephen was not a general or a colonel. Stephen was not on the platform. Stephen was in the pew. A man of the ranks, a layman. He was not a Billy Graham. He was a man who sits where you sit when he came to church. Now, because of that, you've got to understand why God put this little story here. I think the reason is for all of us to know that we can all be like Stephen, all of us, that it's God's norm. It's not the unusual, it's the usual. It's God's design, God's delight to give every one of his children everything that he gave to Stephen. Full of faith, full of wisdom, full of power, full of grace. All of these were the part of a layman's life, the graces of which were seen by the church and by the community. The Lord spoke to the leaders of the church and said, seek out from among you seven men. And then it says, and they chose Stephen. The first one was this man from the ranks. The life of victory and adequacy in the spirit is as freely offered to lay people as it is to apostles or ministers. This was Stephen's conviction. That's why he responded to the invitation. The New Testament tells us that God is able to make us more than conquerors. The Bible tells us that he's able to make all grace abound toward us, that we always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. The life of Stephen blows away the idea that there is something about the Christian life that is narrow and cramped, the Christian life is not narrow. It is not filled with narrow margins. It's not barely getting by. The life of overflow is for all of us. That was the life Stephen enjoyed. All of us here today are full of something. My concern is that we be filled with the right thing because it's possible to be full of the wrong thing. We can be full of bitterness. 
sitting here with all the rest, singing the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, and be filled with bitterness, eaten up by bitterness. It's possible. It happens. A writer said we can be gorged with gall, gone sour on the world, gone sour on people, sour on life in general. But that's not God's will. We can be full of cursing, full of confusion, full of extortion. Romans 1.29 says we can be full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, and malignity. All of these that Paul was writing about exuded evil. It just belched forth from their daily life because it was what was within. Bob Larson, perhaps some of you have heard on the radio from coast to coast, he has a live talk program, call-in program, where he answers questions and deals with major problems. He also gets a lot of mail. He received this letter. I have just turned 16. I take heroin and play rock until it makes me feel weird. When I turn on certain rock albums, I go mad, wrapping my head on the wall and crawling on my belly like a snake. I'm scared and need your prayers. Sixteen years old. See, you can be filled with the wrong thing. Another wrote, my friend says she is a witch. In a trance, she killed a cat and cut her fingers with a razor. Then she wiped the cat's blood into the blood on her fingers. Another wrote, I went to a dope party. One guy got so high, he stripped and then raped me. I've tried suicide, and each day I look in the mirror and wonder if it will be my last. My doctor has me on tranquilizers. And on and on we could go with what it's possible to be full of. And I'm not going to dwell on that. I have not come to give you the sordid side of life. I have come to give you the alternative of Acts through the life of this wonderful man by the name of Stephen. How many parents name their sons after this man in the Word of God? Stephen, a man full of faith, a man full of power and wisdom and grace. We do not need to drip with depravity we can, in contrast, like Stephen, be people of character, have lives that attract attention that is good and holy, and have a conviction to do that which is right with the life God has imparted to us. There are five things in this passage of Scripture I leave with you today about the conviction of Stephen. Note them with me. First of all, his conviction was inclusive. It is apparent as you read the record that Stephen wanted the Lord to have all of him. He did not sing, Lord, take half my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. He sang it the way it should be sung, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. He 
as it were, had a big stamp on the back of his T-shirt. Controlled by God. And that is the way it should be with every one of us here in church today, every one of us without exception. Every man, every woman, every young person, every boy and girl, controlled by God. His conviction was an inclusive conviction to be filled with the Spirit. No reservations, no bucking, no holding back. I want to be totally controlled by you, Lord. A controlled, volitional life. Every one of us has a gift. It's called the will. We can choose on what level we will live. We can control our habits. We can control our appetites. We can put our appetites on a leash. Our passions can be on a leash and be controlled by our will. That's the way Stephen was. His was an all-inclusive conviction. I am the Lord's. Nothing more, nothing less. All of me is the Lord's. That is the norm, folk. That is what God expects. And he was a layman from the pew, not a theological graduate, not a Billy Graham evangelist. He was a layman whom God worked signs and wonders through because of his all-inclusive conviction that he was the property solely and wholly of God omnipotent. Sir, does God control your business practice? Ma'am, does God control your daily life as a housewife, a mother, or an employee? As a church member, are you wholly controlled by God? Do you have the conviction that it is God's right to totally consume you and live in you and use you for his glory. You see, in our society today, so many of us are controlled by our social life or we're controlled by our recreational activities. When someone asks, for example, could you sing in the choir? You have a good voice. Your gift would be a blessing to the church. Often the person asks, well, when do they practice? What is required of me? You see, I have this weekly habit. I must go here, and I must do this, and I have a camper, or I have a boat, and on and on it goes. It's incredible how much of that goes on in the family of God. One of the men at the men's retreat this weekend showed me the latest statistic of how much Americans spend on recreational pleasure a year. The figure is now 240 billions of dollars, more than the defense budget of the United States. And while we're driving our campers and running our boats and heading here and there to recreate 
We are fussing with the president about his defense budget, and we spend more on trying to keep happy than he's proposing to keep us safe. Now that's how sick we've gotten. And far, far away from the conviction of this man of God in the book of Acts. An example for us. The other side of fullness is, of course, emptiness. And I saw some of these empty souls as I came to church today, trying to fill up the vacuum of their life. It will never happen. Tonight, they will trudge home as empty as they started today, trying to find recreational satisfaction. It just isn't there. Now, I'm for recreation. We all need to recreate. It's important, but friends, there are limits, and that's what the will is all about. That's what this volitional desire of Stephen was all about. He said, I'm going to put a leash on my passions, on my desires. I am going to hold tight to that leash so they don't get away from me. I am God's alone. A layman in the church made that his decision. May I recommend it today? It is not simply for the Dwight Moody's, the George Mueller's, the Hudson Taylor's. It's for all of us in the family of God to live like that. The second conviction is his conviction, which was perceptive conviction. He was full of wisdom, we read. He had insight. Sometimes we use the word wisdom only in the sense of being one of the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. If you get spiritual enough, you can have the gift of wisdom. Well, friends, that is not totally true. I see what God gave to Stephen as a day-by-day thing in his life. Stephen wasn't marrying the wrong girl, wasn't getting the wrong job, wasn't walking the wrong path because he had wisdom. He was making decisions because he had God's wisdom working in his daily life. He did things right. Oh, do we need that these days. The counseling that is necessary is incredible because people do not live by wisdom. Now, I do not want you to feel like we're not happy to give the instruction and the advice and the prayer and the counsel that may be needed, but what I'm saying, friends, is this, that if we would live by the conviction of perception that Stephen had, we probably would be able to cut that counseling load at least in half because we would not be making the stupid decisions we make that get us into such a bind in this world. We would be doing the things that God wants us to do because his wisdom is actually at work in our daily walk. I believe that with all of my being. You look at some people, for example, and you say, he seems to have a golden spoon in his mouth. Is that really true? No. It's that he made right choices. 
He made right decisions. It is as though God was saying, do this on this day. Do this on this day. Go here at this time. And he's listening. He's plugged in. He's tuned in. And as God imparts heavenly wisdom, this man makes decisions that makes it look like he's born with a golden spoon. Stephen was like that. When they heard the word, seek out men to lead, they immediately said, Stephen, because everything he does is filled with power, spirit, wisdom, grace. I think we want that. He had a perceptive tie-in with God. He knew Psalm 119, I believe. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide these words in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When he stood in chapter 7 to preach to the Sanhedrin, there are 60 verses in that chapter that are his message to those leaders. And as you read the message, you see it saturated with Bible knowledge. He talks about Moses. He talks about Joseph. He talks about Isaac and Jacob. He knew Bible history, and he traced for the Sanhedrin the entire history of Israel because it was in his mind, and it was in his heart. He was guided by the very wisdom of God. Conviction perceptive. How much time have you sought the wisdom of God this week? How much time have you spent looking into the record so that you would make decisions that would honor God and bless you? The third thing about Stephen, his conviction was responsive. We learned that in the statement he was full of faith. Faith is not receiving, it is achieving. Faith is action. Faith never sits idle. Hebrews 11, through faith, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Faith gets things done with God's purpose. Achieving faith. Stephen was full of it. He was a man full of faith, full of achievement. We call these kinds of people these days great achievers. But let's not use always human terminology. Let us recognize that what we are saying is these are people of great faith. These are people who achieve because they believe. That was Stephen. If God said it, good enough, settled. If God spoke, move. Not just great achievers, but great in faith, which when exercised, brings about tremendous results. Bridges are built. Cathedrals are constructed. Great programs are launched. Humanitarian efforts become visible 
through people of faith. I looked in the paper this week and saw the picture of Mother Teresa with the president. Remembered that when in Calcutta somebody said, how can you go and touch those grimy, dirty, dying people on the streets and pick them up and bring them in? She said, easy. Every one of them is Jesus. I just go out and pick up Jesus. And I bring Jesus in. Because he said that if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you do it unto me. Great achiever. Great faith. That when you obey that word, it works. It brings about miracles and puts gold medals around the neck. Faith works. Faith achieves. Faith conquers. And it says of Stephen, he was a man full of faith. Oh, I want to be like him. I want to be full of faith. Shame on us for building such a small sanctuary. <laughs> Let us be full of faith. Let us take the city. I love Sam Johnson, the missionary to Europe who has at the top of his letters, giant killer. And at the bottom he always signs it, your fellow giant killer, Sam Johnson. Sam is out killing giants just like David did. Great achiever, great faith. And faith brings the achievement. Faith is action. Faith is doing. It isn't sitting around waiting. It's doing. And Stephen had that conviction. That's why he was chosen. God, give it to all of us. <laughs> Fourthly, his conviction was attractive. He was full of grace. Those who accused Stephen saw it, gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. 15th verse, 6th chapter. The radiant beauty of the master beamed from his eyes, glowed in his countenance, affected his whole personality. John Wesley once said, one of the advantages of the grace of God is that it makes a man a gentleman without the aid of a dancing teacher. I like that. I have seen it in the lives of many. I've seen it in the lives of youth. I've seen it in adults. The hardness flees in the presence of grace. Oh, God, give us that conviction that becomes attraction. The radiance of Christ in Stephen challenged his foes and charmed his friends. Here's a test. Has anybody lately said, I want what you have? So often I'm afraid if we were honest, they would say, I don't want what you've got. I've got enough of that myself. Like the little girl that saw the mule in the pasture said, my aunt has religion too. That's the way the world looks at us sometimes. They don't want what we have because they don't see what they need to see. But with Stephen... They saw the grace of God shining from his face. 
emanating from his life. His presence literally filled him and motivated him. Let our Christianity be the same. That's the norm. That is God's will and God's plan. And the last conviction that was a part of this great man's life was his conviction was effective. He was full of power. There are times when the strength to express ourselves for Christ must be matched by the strength silently to endure for Christ, bearing it as Jesus did before Herod. His conviction was effective. Verse 54 of the next chapter. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him. Can you imagine a mob out there grinding their teeth together because they're so mad at you? What would you do? What was his reaction? Verse 55, chapter 7, He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, in all of the other passages, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but in this one, it says he's standing at the right hand of God. There was something about Stephen that impressed Jesus until he jumped to his feet. And when he opened the heavens and Stephen could see, he saw Jesus standing, and Jesus was clapping his hands. Hang in there, Stevie. Affect them all, Stevie. Let them see what it's really like to know me. Was it effective? Sitting over by a tree was a fellow by the name of Saul. Acts says they dropped the clothes of Stephen at his feet. And this fellow from Tarsus, by the name of Saul, watched this boy die. Full of faith full of power, full of grace, full of wisdom, with conviction, a backbone like steel. And Saul could never shake it. By the time you get to the ninth chapter of Acts, this same Saul is on his road to Damascus with letters in his pocket to persecute the church of Jesus Christ when a light shines and a voice is heard and from the dust of the road the first word that that fellow says is the word that Stephen said, Lord! Where did he learn that? He heard it from the lips of Stephen. Was he effective in his dying? He brought into conviction the greatest missionary the world has ever known, a man whose name was changed to Paul. He could not shake what he saw in that face, what he heard from those lips, what he experienced outside that city when they stoned the life out of this man who sat in the pew full of faith and power. Jesus stands to his feet and says to the Father, Father, we've got something remarkable going on. Get ready. There's a very special fellow about to enter into the kingdom. Saul of Tarsus could never forget it. Though the crowd was enraged, grinding their teeth together, Saul was moved by the conviction of this layman, the 
in the name of Stephen. In verse 59 and 60 of chapter 7, as Stephen was nearing the end of his pilgrimage, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin to their charge. With a loud voice, he said it, so that all of the mob could hear it above the grinding of their teeth. Lord, do not hold this sin to their charge. Do you suppose that when that mob dissipated that day and went homeward, they felt real good? I doubt it. Not after seeing the face of an angel. Not after hearing those words, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. I think they talked all the way home between themselves. What did he have? What made him say that? What made him die like that? I can't get over it. I wonder how many were added to the church because of the conviction of Stephen. I believe many. Who that heard it could ever forget it? And who today, in our world, filled with lying and cursing and screaming and all kinds of absurdity, could forget it if we walk out of church with the conviction of Stephen? It would shake this city. It would shake families. It would shake businesses where we work. It would turn many to righteousness if we had that same conviction. What a man. When I close my Bible after reading those chapters in Acts, I say, what a man. What a testimony. What conviction. What a God who could do that for a man. And I say, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. I want to touch humanity as powerfully as he did. Oh, God, give me the conviction of Stephen. When I just started my ministry in 1956, I picked up a Life magazine the cover of which was the story of the death of five young missionaries in Alkaland. Jim Elliott was one of them, 27 years of age. Could have gone into politics brilliant, could have pastored large churches. He said, no. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He said, I'm a missionary, and I'm going. And he went. They dropped food, messages. They tried to win the natives before they landed. Several times they tried to show themselves friendly to the Aukas. Finally, they landed on the beach. Tried to set up a point of contact only to have those savages come from the forests with spears and drove it into their backs. 
when they found these five missionaries, their faces were down in the river, their blood having flowed from their bodies and carried by the river, spears protruding from their bodies. And when America heard it, many said, what a shame, what a waste, what a loss. I ask you to reevaluate that whole tribe was one to Christ. Following the martyrdom of those men by their own wives, sister, who went back to prove they loved them and there was a God who cared about them personally. And I wonder how many, having read through gates of splendor, were called to full-time ministry. How many saw that slogan of Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gains that which he cannot lose, to gain that which he cannot keep. Whether you're 27 or 97, it is not the length, it's the quality that counts. It's the conviction that matters. Do you belong wholly to him who has called you from darkness into light? Is your life full of the things Stephen's life was full of? As we look at these actors in the book of Acts, living out the normal Christian life as an example for the church of all time. Oh, God, help us. May our hearts just be crying out today, God, fill me. God, God, fill me with yourself. Oh, God, I'm tired of myself. I'm tired of my passions. I want you, Lord. Oh, may that be the cry of our hearts. May that be the cry of our youth. Oh, God, fill me, fill me. Let us bow in prayer, and I ask that no one leave until we have concluded this service. Do not disturb anyone now in these closing moments that are so vital to all of us. Jesus Christ, the one who came to earth to show us what God is like and who gave us the promise you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit we beseech you to come and do it for us fill us with your spirit come to those that do not know you and are not walking in light come and save them today take men in this great fellowship that have not been living as they should live, not been conducting themselves as they should. Fill them with the spirit of Stephen today. Oh God, touch our dear ladies and our dear youth. Fill them with that same spirit. Whether they be singles, married, what difference? They are people and God loves people and God uses people. May we climb over the hurdles today and find a new relationship.
and a new touch. While our heads are bowed, how many of you need Jesus in your life? You know if you would die today, you would not enter God's kingdom. You can know by assurance that Christ lives in you. I want to pray for you today. I want to ask Jesus to come into your life. How many of you would raise a hand and say, Pastor, I want that prayer. I need Jesus. Here's my hand. Yes, God bless you. Several right over here and another one over there. God bless you back over to my left. How many more? Yes, over here and another back there and another here and another back there. Oh, there are so many. Tell you what, time is slipping away from us. Those of you who want Christ, will you just get up? Move out into the aisle. Come on down here to the front. Pastors will be here to meet you, and we want to pray with you, give you a tape and a booklet. Just get up right now and say, I really mean it. I want you to pray for me. And I want you right down here where you'll be close. All over this room, start coming now. People won't mind if you walk in front of them, if you're in the middle of the row. It's most important that you make this public stand for Jesus Christ. Come, join us here. Everyone he called, he called publicly. He said, come, follow me. He's asking you now, come, follow me. Sir, come and follow Jesus. You'll never be disappointed with Jesus. Ma'am, come and follow Jesus. Single, come and follow Jesus. You may have been disappointed by another. You'll never be disappointed with Jesus. Businessman, come and follow Jesus. Teenager, come and follow Jesus. Grandma, grandpa, come and follow Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. God bless these that are coming. Isn't it wonderful? Counselors, you may come. Help us as we pray and seek God with these. Now, while they're coming, how many of you would like to be a man or a woman of God filled with his spirit like Stephen, and you just feel a churning in your heart to move in that direction? Would you like to raise your hand to his testimony? Lift it up right now all over this auditorium and Jesus will see it. And I think he stands to his feet and says, Father, Father, look. Stephen's wanting to be full of the Spirit. God bless you up in the balcony as well as on the main floor. Let us stand for prayer, please. All of us rising quietly and reverently. Take, the whole, take a hold of the neighbor's hand as we pray for these that are standing here with us and all of us as we have moved toward God today. Lord Jesus, we stand as one, all humans, all in need, all sinners for whom Christ died, pilgrims on a journey. Touch these that stand at this altar. Save them now. May they know today their name was written in heaven's book of life. May they be forgiven of their sins and march into the kingdom of our God and of his Savior, Jesus Christ. For all of the others that raised a hand saying, I want power. God, release your power on this people. We want to be filled with this spirit that Stephen was filled with. May it be a contrast to the spirit of the world. May it draw people to Christ, our loved ones, our friends, our associates. Jesus, may we have room inside for you more than anything or anyone else. Thank you, Jesus. If people are here looking for meaningful relationships, may they know that they first find it in Christ before they ever find it in another. If they're trying to find it in pleasure and recreation, may they know that it's first found in Jesus. Oh, God, help us, I pray. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Make us indeed men and women of God filled with your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.